Ecclesia is a new church trying to live out the way of Jesus in Princeton, New Jersey. We pray this teaching invites you to love Jesus and people more deeply and to embrace the full life that Jesus offers each one of us. Grace and peace to you. Happy Independence Day, Ecclesia. My name is Bobby Parks, and I am coming to you from Dallas, Texas. The Republic of Texas, wishing you happy Freedom Day. Hope you guys are having a wonderful day with your family. Great festivities planned. What an honor to get to be with you. Hey, I love your pastor. Ian is one of my uh, dearest friends. Uh, we connected back at ORU and have served in leadership and on missions together, sitting each other's weddings. Uh, Courtney is an amazing woman of God, so grateful to be connected with this beautiful family, and what a gift that you guys have in the Graham family there in Princeton, New Jersey. Uh, Ian is one of my favorite preachers and communicators and theologians. He's brilliant. Uh, the ways that he tells the story of God uh, through the scriptures uh, and connects it to today where we're living and how do we follow Jesus and find the beauty and the worth of him, and so I'm just so grateful. Uh, for his example, for your example as a church, especially in the Northeast. Uh, that's where I'm from originally, believe it or not. I know this accent uh, doesn't say that, uh, but I'm from Long Island, New York originally. And so for you guys to be a beautiful expression of Jesus in the Northeast, uh, it means a lot to me. I pray for you guys often. If you'll receive my prayers from Texas uh, we believe in you guys. We're so grateful for the ways that you represent Christ, ways you serve others, and are pointing people to the beauty and worth of Jesus. Today, I get the honor of uh, talking about persecution and martyrdom on Independence Day. Thank you, Pastor Ian, uh, for that great setup. <laughs> but uh, in all reality, I'm so grateful, honored that I get to. It's something that uh, I know Pastor Ian knows is really close to my wife and I's heart. Um, many friends that we've served uh, in other countries and some, some very close to us, uh, a little too close to home, that uh, we walk with uh, this journey of what it means to follow Christ and be obedient to Him. Well, as we're talking about freedom today, Independence Day, I think we can celebrate our freedom in Christ. You know, I didn't grow up in the church. Uh, I was a little heathen boy. Father committed suicide when I was younger. I was in drugs, alcohol, addiction. Didn't know my identity. Didn't know I was loved. Didn't know the gospel. Didn't know freedom. But thank God that we have a God that whose hand is never too short to save, to redeem, to restore. There's no person, no situation that God can't save and can't bring his freedom to. And I'm living testimony today that God's grace and his mercy is alive, that there is freedom in Christ. And so I'm celebrating that with you, my brothers and sisters today, that we have freedom. And the Bible says it's for freedom that Christ has set us free. I love that, for freedom that he says free. He, he didn't just free us to save us from our sin, although he did. He didn't just rescue us from our addictions or bondage or depression or shame or guilt or condemnation. He did all of that, but it wasn't just that. It's for freedom that he set us free. Christ set us free not just from something, but to something. 
And that something is him. He is freedom. And that freedom in him is where now we're free to serve one another. We're free to see one another. We're free to enjoy one another, to walk in unity, to know joy and peace. Man, what a reason we have to celebrate that freedom. And I'm also celebrating the freedom we have in America. I know that we have some stains in our history, quite a few. I know we still have a long ways to go as a country, but we have an amazing country with so many freedoms that we can sometimes take for granted, especially those of us in the body of Christ. Today, as we're gonna be talking about our persecuted brothers and sisters in Christ around the world and what Stephen went through, I hope and pray it's just an encouragement to us, not condemnation uh, or not us to ignore the issues that we have here, but to us to really today celebrate. Thank God that we have the freedoms that we do to worship in the ways that we can, that we don't have restrictions or that we don't have to face imprisonment or worse because of our allegiance or obedience to Christ, because that's not the case for all of our brothers and sisters around the world. You know, my wife worked for the Voice of the Martyrs for seven years, and her and I both got to travel uh, in our line of work to serve our brothers and sisters in the body of Christ that have paid a great price where they live, what's happened to them. Many of them have been imprisoned. Many of them have lost family members. They've suffered a great price, but yet they've discovered the pearl of great price. They, they, they know what's worth it. And we've been challenged by them. We've been encouraged by them. Sometimes we can feel convicted, but more than anything, we're inspired that this is who we are in the body of Christ. And our brothers and sisters that uh, will boldly say that Jesus is worth it, even if it means that they might pay a price, we, we could maybe feel less of ourselves here in the West, or we could say, that's us. That's who we are. And the same Holy Spirit that's in them is in us as well. And so we have just uh, had some amazing uh, experiences, learning, gleaning, being encouraged by our brothers and sisters around the world. And I wish I had time to tell you so many stories from Iraq and Morocco and Tanzania and uh, Nepal. I'm thinking about brothers and sisters of ours that have spent years in prison, but have told me, Bobby, I pray that you find a prison one day, that you would find the joy that I found in walking with Jesus, even in my suffering. I, I wish I could unpack those stories, but I know we don't have time today. But there's, there's a person in our lives that was like a Timothy in the faith to me, someone that I walked closely with for years, loved dearly. He wasn't just a brother in Christ, he was a brother to me and a friend, a ministry partner. And one day I got a call and I dreaded that might come. And my friend had laid down his life on a remote island to bring the gospel to a people that had never heard it before. And he knew that his mission might cost him his life. He didn't want to lay down his life. That wasn't his goal. He was very strategic, one of the most uh, prepared missionaries I've ever worked with, one of the most prayerful missionaries. He spent years praying, seeking out counsel, looking for other missiological strategies, ways of maybe other indigenous uh, believers to go. But at the end of the day, there was no one else willing to go. And it was a conversation he had with Jesus. And it was a revelation that he had, a vision. 
that he saw Jesus and he knew Jesus and he beheld him and he knew that Jesus was worth it and he knew that the measure of success at the end of the day was obedience to the one who created him, the one who was worthy, the one he would spend eternity with. And he thought if it was worth even laying down his life to bring a seed of the gospel to another people group, he counted that cost and said Jesus was worth that as well. I wish I could tell you the pain wasn't still there. Or the questions, they're still there. But I can tell you, I've never been more proud of some of my life that would display the gospel in the ways he did. And I wish I could tell you more. But I've also never been more challenged by someone other than Christ in my life. And every day I'm convicted to see Jesus in the way that my friend John did. And today as we talk about how do we see Jesus in the ways that Stephen the martyr did, I'm going to be sharing from some personal experience as well from some of our brothers and sisters that I've known, that I've walked with. And I shared about one that I know is with Jesus now. But I think as we look at these passages in Acts chapter 6 and 7, I believe that this isn't just a story of the, of the first martyr of our faith, although that it is. It's not just a story of the early church, although that it is. This is a story of us. This is a story of who we are as Christ followers of ones that can see Jesus and behold him. So in Acts chapter 6, as we pick back up this story, Pastor Ian talked about listening. We're talking about seeing. But as the early church, as they listened to one another, then they saw the need and they provided the solution. The solution was, we need to find some men of good reputation that can meet this need. We need to find some people that um, are full of the spirit and full of wisdom. That's what Acts chapter 6 verse 3 said. And so they found seven men, one of which was Stephen, that they were going to serve the widows. They were going to give themselves to a ministry of service and of compassion and of outreach and of putting others' needs before themselves in their ministry. But here's what the Bible says about Stephen. It said, they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit. And then it goes on to say about Stephen, he was full of grace and power, and he was doing great wonders and signs among the people. I don't know about you, but I don't always feel full of grace, full of power, doing signs and wonders amongst the people, full of wisdom. <laughs> There's times where I, I, I can say, okay, God, that was you, not me, but to be honest, more often than not, I feel full of a lot of other things and not always full of God's power, full of his spirit. I can feel full of weakness. I can feel full of my inadequacies. I can feel full of my doubts at times. But I want us to keep reading here before we get to Stephen's big courageous moment 
where uh, we know about and we're going to read about and his story has been told and the church has continued to grow because of that great sacrifice and courage. But there's some key context clues here in the story before then. And yes, it has to do with uh, the his heart to serve. And yes, it has to do with him being full of spirit. But if we come here in verse 15 of chapter 6, the last verse there, this is talking about Stephen serving and giving and being full of wisdom and full of power and doing signs and wonders. He's caring for widows, feeding them. Who could take issue with this? But yet the religious of the day, yet the enemies of the day, yet an enemy that wants to lie, steal, kill, and destroy, the accuser of the brethren, brings a tax upon Stephen. And now he has to go before the Sanhedrin, this council that wants to put him on trial. You committed blasphemy because you're following this way of Jesus. You're you're proclaiming that this so-called prophet or teacher is now the very presence of God, that we don't even need to go into the temple anymore. That is blasphemy. And as Stephen very well knew, that blasphemy could very well mean his life. But here he is before the council in verse 15. It says, in gazing at him, all who sat in the council saw that his face was like the face of an angel. I don't know if you've ever met someone like that, the face of an angel. I have at times. <laughs> Sometimes it's been in another country. Sometimes it's been uh, someone that's serving on Sunday morning that you just, they're beaming with joy. And I'm like, man, you haven't even had coffee yet. Where does that joy come from? And you can just tell they've been with Jesus, that they genuinely have a vision of Jesus. They spend time with him. They love him. I have a friend like that named Keith Wheeler. He travels uh, to many different countries, carrying a cross, proclaiming the gospel to many. Yes, an actual physical cross, a wooden cross with a wheel on it. And he always has a big smile on his face. And you could just tell he's been with Jesus. He's compelled to go by Jesus' love and he wears it on his face. And he often likes to say, you know, when you have a friend and they come back from vacation, you can read it on their face. They might be a little sun-kissed. Their eyes might look more refreshed, but they have a joy about them. Now, those people probably didn't travel with toddlers like my wife and I do on vacation because we need to find our joy uh, elsewhere these days. But the point is, when you've been with Jesus, your face radiates. It shines like glory, like the face of an angel. And they saw that on Stephen, even his accusers, even those that were putting him to trial. He had a face like an angel. Sounds similar, just like in Acts chapter 4 when Peter and John, they could discern that they were with Jesus. See, I want to pose to us today before we go in talking about the courage of those who are willing to lay down their life for Jesus or go to the ends of the earth, go to a remote island or be willing to be stoned to not renounce their faith and to stand strong for Christ. I want to encourage us that in the same way that sometimes we might feel convicted or even less than by hearing these stories, can I tell you that I believe that the people of the early church, the apostles and those, they were just like you and I. In fact, we, we've read stories so far about quarrels they've had, disagreements we're going to read later in Acts. Peter and Paul can't get it together sometimes and 
Paul and Barnabas as well. So they have normal days like you and I. And in fact, I've been with our persecuted brothers and sisters in Christ in many countries. And I've broke bread with them and laughed with them and had birthday parties with them. And we went to weddings together. And, and they are just like you and I. They have the same Holy Spirit inside of them that you and I do. But here's the, here's the secret. A face like an angel. They're beholding Jesus. They know Jesus is worth it. They're spending time with him. They see him. They're looking to him. And then their face radiates with it. It's not just all their wisdom. It's not just their power. It's not just all the N.T. Wright books that they've read. It's that they've been with Jesus. That's the secret. There's nothing that can suffice, supplement, or muster up enough strategy, willpower, goodness inside of us, except Jesus in us, Christ in us, the hope of glory. And that was Stephen's strength. That was what he was beholding. That's why he was so full of the Spirit, because he knew what it was like to behold Jesus, to be with him. So after Stephen's brilliant speech, that he confounds them with his great wisdom and beautifully tells the story of God and the people of God, but how yet the people of God continue to miss seeing God through the prophets and now through Jesus. And obviously, the Sanhedrin and those that were very religious and were putting him on trial in the beginning in the first place, they weren't happy with that. And so in verse 54, we pick up here in chapter 7. It says, When they had heard these things, they were enraged, and they ground their teeth at him. But he, full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. And he said, Behold, I see the heavens opened. Let's pause there real quick. What a beautiful, amazing, yet confusing picture right here. (laughs) That Stephen is before a council. They're they're gnashing their teeth at him. They're enraged. They're accusing him of blasphemy. And rather than trying to now defend himself again or run away or look to, are they already holding the stones? Where is Stephen's gaze at? What does he see? Does he see his accusers? Does he see the storms coming all around him? They, could, they, they should be blinding his vision right now. But instead, yet, he looks up to the heavens. His eyes are fixed on Jesus, the author and finisher of his faith. He has a gaze. The heavens open up. Jesus standing at the right hand of God. And he says, behold, I see. Oh, say, can you see? Stephen saw. Stephen saw Jesus. He had a vision. He knew where to look. And I want to encourage us, no matter what storms are around us, what's plaguing us, what trials, I know that none of us are up against a firing squad or a stoning squad right now. But I want to encourage us that Jesus is there. He's standing there. He sees you. He sees us. He's with us. I was recently in Colorado Springs, and if you've ever been there before, you know that there is... beautiful mountain range that's staring over the city, but there's one mountain that stands above, and that's Pike's Peak. 
And if you've never been there before, you can take the testimony and witness of others that have seen it. It's beautiful and magnificent. You would know when you saw it, man, that is Pike's Peak. But sometimes, like when I was there just last week, it's cloudy, it's stormy. There's a lot of things blocking the view of it. And when I was there last time, I never actually saw the summit or the peak. Now, I've summited it before. I've climbed it. I've beheld it. I've seen its glory and its beauty. But for about three days when I was there, I couldn't see it. But that didn't cause me to doubt that the Pikes Peak wasn't still there all along. It was. I knew it was. I'd seen it before. I knew the witness and testimony of many others that their life was transformed by this peak. But I never could see it while I was there. But that didn't mean that the peak wasn't there. And in the same way, just because you're going through a cloudy season, a difficult season, a confusing season, maybe your doubts are clouding your view right now. Can I just encourage you? Jesus is still there. (laughs) He's there on the other side of the trial, of the storm, of the pain and the hurt. He's never left you. He's never forsaken you. Just as constant as Pike's Peak Summit is there behind the clouds, so is Jesus standing at the right hand of God like we read here uh, with Stephen. Now he's sitting, interceding for us. But I think in this moment, like he did for Stephen as he stood to affirm him, to see him, and to display his authority as the head of the church, but also as authority in our lives. I believe that he does that for us at times, that he stands to say, I see you. I see you in the midst of your suffering. I see you in the midst of your trial. Oh, and I'm proud of you. I'm with you. Oh, Jesus is doing that for us right now. Can you see him? Can you see him in your life? For Stephen, in the midst of what was most certain death, He saw Jesus. He didn't see the trial, didn't see the pain. There was others that were there that were ready, though, to take his life, that they were filled with evil, darkness. They couldn't see light. They couldn't see what Stephen saw. And so it says that they cried out with a loud voice and they stopped their ears and rushed together at him. Then they cast him out of the city and stoned him. And the witnesses laid down their garments at the feet of a young man named Saul. Sounds familiar, right? Can I just pause and say, you never know who's watching as you're going through a trial, you're going through a storm. You never know who's paying attention to what you're looking at, what your gaze is, what your focus is on. Here, this is Saul that we all know would later become Paul and actually later be willing to die a similar death as Stephen did and as his Lord and Savior Jesus did as well. But it didn't happen right away. This wasn't Peter's sermon in Pentecost where 3,000 came to know Christ there at that moment. And can I encourage you that sometimes there's not a pretty bow at the end of your trial or the end of your storm? That sometimes what Jesus is asking us to do is just to look to him, to trust him and to obey him even if the results don't turn out the way that we thought or hoped or that there's not fruit to show or a paycheck to show or a lot of Instagram followers to show or people patting us on the back that we did the right thing. Actually, sometimes you might be ridiculed. Sometimes people may not understand, but yet when you have a vision of Jesus, when you see him and you know he's worth it and you know that the measure of success is obedience, obedience to be who he's called you to be, 
and then to obey what he's called you to do. That's the measure of success. Stephen knew that. I don't think he knew at the time, hey, this Saul that's actually there overseeing my stoning, oh yeah, I'm doing this so that he's going to come to know Christ years down the road and he's going to write two-thirds of our New Testament. Yeah, I mean, it's worth it. I'll lay down my life for that. No, Stephen didn't know that anyone that was there that day would even see his obedience to Christ, but yet he still knew his, his eyes were fixed on Jesus. He was going to be obedient, even to the point of death. It was Christ's love that compelled him. It was Christ's uh, freedom that kept him going. He wasn't comparing himself to others. He wasn't worrying about what others would think. He just simply kept his eyes on Jesus. He saw Jesus and followed him. And then he does this. As they're stoning Stephen, he cries out, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And falling to his knees, he cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. In the midst of being stoned to death, Lord, don't hold this sin against them. He had a vision. He saw Jesus, even in the midst, not just of a trial, even in the midst of suffering, even in the midst of pain, even in the midst of certain death. He had a vision of Jesus, and that compelled him to see others with a love that could only come from God. It compelled him to, to see a joy that could only come from God. It compelled him to have courage that he didn't have in his own strength. But when he had a vision of Jesus, full of the Spirit, full of grace, full of power, he was able to be obedient to what God has called him to do. And I want to encourage us right here today as we close our time together. Three things. How do we see like Stephen saw? How do we, in the midst of what we're going through, in the midst of cathedrals that some are broken, some need to be reimagined, some we're trying to put back together and asking God to rebuild that cathedral. And maybe some of us, our stained glass is broken in front of us. We're having a difficult time putting that mosaic back together. How do we see Jesus in the midst of the brokenness around us, in the midst of the pain, midst of confusion, midst of doubt, midst of divisiveness in the culture, not just in the world, but in the church that we see? Where is Jesus? How do I see him? And the three things I want to encourage us with is number one, is we need to stop looking at ourselves and we need to look to others. Stephen modeled this for us, uh, even in the beginning of his assignment that we read in chapter six, that he was uh, looking to the widows. He was looking to the Hellenistic uh, uh, widows there that uh, uh, they were without and they needed someone to serve them. He saw the needs of others. He saw the marginalized. He saw uh, those that were hurting and he did something about it. He stepped out of himself. He wasn't just focused on himself, but he saw a need around him and he met that need. He wasn't comparing himself to others' titles. He wasn't uh, comparing himself to others' callings. He was full of the Spirit. He was looking at Jesus, and then he simply just said, yes, God, I'll do what you call me to do. I'll, I, I won't worry about what you've called others to do. I'm going to be obedient to what you call me to do. I'll serve those widows, and I'll do it faithfully. But you know what else he was doing as he was looking at others? He was also doing signs and wonders. He was also sharing the hope that he had within. And I just want to encourage us today that 
just because you might have a gift of service, uh, you might have a call uh, to be a music teacher, you might have a call to be an architect, an engineer, a theologian, uh, maybe you serve in the children's ministry. I, I don't know what your gift and your callings are and assignments that God has given you. But can I encourage us, though, that we're never uh, um, excused from sharing the hope of the gospel? Now, I, I don't mean we need a, a mega horn on the corner or you need to be passing out tracks everywhere you go. But just even in the way that Stephen modeled, yes, he was called to serve. Uh, yes, he, he was full of wisdom but he was also proclaiming the gospel. St. Francis of Assisi, it's a credit to him by some, but we're not sure that he really said it. But it's this brilliant quote, preach the gospel at all times, and when necessary, use words. I love it. I love the heart of it. I love that our actions should speak louder than our words. That as believers, we should be known for uh, looking after the marginalized, standing up uh, for the widowed and the orphaned, for having eyes to see others in our community that are looked down upon, that uh, others aren't there. We should be the first to serve. We should be known for our acts of love and kindness and goodness. We, we shouldn't be known for all the things that we're against. So I love the heart of that. But can I also say that we still need to use our words. <laughs> we still need to share the hope that is within. Romans 10 makes that so very clear that how will people hear unless someone preaches to them? And you can't preach unless you're sent, but can I encourage you? You are commissioned and sent by a king with the greatest commission given to mankind, the greatest mission that we've ever been entrusted with, and that is the reconciliation of mankind back to God and each other. And Jesus has entrusted this like a king that sends out an edict and says, here, here are my orders. Will you take this? to the land? Will you, see, will you see light come to darkness? My kingdom of light push back darkness. And the way that that happens is how we proclaim and live out the gospel in both word and deed. And Stephen modeled that for us. So I want to encourage us to do the same. Look to others. Look for opportunities to share the hope that we have. Could be in a neighbor. Could be in a family member. Could be someone in church that's struggling. It could be our persecuted brothers and sisters that God's going to give you a heart and eyes to see them in a new way. But there's something special that happens when we get our eyes off ourselves and onto others. I've seen some of the greatest glimpses of God's kingdom when I've done that. And it could be in some of the darkest places. Slums where kids were sniffing glue to hide their hunger pains. Darkness all around. But yet, when I looked to others and I saw Jesus in others, I saw God's church shining bright and, and providing hope in ways I never thought imaginable but none more powerful than when I was in Lebanon with my friend Emil. Emil had uh, had a knife held up at his throat at one point in another country and never uh, fell away from the faith. And in fact, it just strengthened him and it compelled him and led him to Lebanon. And he met his wife uh, there and they were serving at the time uh, in a village trying to do church planning. But as you guys may have heard and Lebanon, there's been an influx of hundreds of thousands of Syrian refugees. And they lived in an area where there was quite a few Syrian refugees and they were walking by them every day. And they decided to open up their home. They didn't have much. They had a small, modest home. But they opened it up and started a school for these children. 
And that school now is serving over 70 refugee kids that would not have had an education had it not been for them. And they're feeding them and they're sharing the hope of the gospel. And now adults in that refugee camp are now coming to know Christ as well. And there's churches that are being planted. And it's a beautiful kingdom work. And I asked Emil when I was there, I said, Emil, how did you see this? How did you see a school in your home and now is spread to his family members' homes? And how did you see churches? And he said, Bobby, I'll be honest, I didn't see that. He said, I saw little boys and girls walking by without education, without food. I saw moms and dads without work and without hope. He said, and then I saw Jesus. And I saw Jesus in them. And it was like I was reading Matthew 25, coming out of of the scriptures in real life, flesh and blood. And Jesus tells his servants, when I was hungry, you fed me. When I was thirsty, you gave me something to drink. When I was in prison, you visited me. When I was naked, you clothed me. For Emil and Reem, it was when I had no school, you made one for me. When my parents had no food, you, you provided food for us. And Emil simply just said, Bobby, if Jesus was here and walking by in those boys and girls and in those parents, how could I turn my back to them? I saw them. I needed to do something. Emil taught me that if we're going to see like Stephen, we need to see others. The second thing we need to do to see like Stephen is we need to look to the cross. The Bible says that for the joy set before him, Jesus endured the cross. There was a joy. And the joy was not just to finish the assignment, to be obedient even unto death. The joy was us. The joy was us being reunited with the Father. The joy was Jesus saying yes to the Father out of love and out of devotion and out of Him seeing the Father, walking with the Father, knowing the Father. There was a joy to be obedient to His Father. There was a joy knowing that we would have a way to be reconciled, redeemed, that we could become the righteousness of God in Christ because of Christ, because of the cross. And when we look to the cross, we're reminded of how much God loves us. We're reminded that even when we were sinners, Christ died for us. And that love is what compels us, that mercy, that grace. It's not religion. It's not obligation. This isn't just blind obedience. This is us saying, Jesus, you've given us your all. You've laid down your life. The place where the worst of humanity intersects with the best of God's divinity. This and and any place in the world, the darkest place in the world, there's no place that the cross power cannot intersect and meet and bring heaven down to. That's what the cross did. It brought heaven to earth. And because of the cross, we can know grace. Because of the cross, we're compelled to love. And because of the cross, we're compelled to take up the cross and deny ourselves. Now we're compelled to do what Stephen did, what Jesus on the cross did. I want to forgive others. Lord, forgive them. They don't know what they do. Because of the cross, we're reminded that I I trade the worst of me. I trade my selfishness. I I trade uh, uh, my narcissism, my pride. I I trade my my sins and, and I don't have to do anything. I can't earn it, but yet I lay it at the feet of Jesus. And this exchange that I get is something so much greater, something that I could never earn. It is the goodness of God. It is his grace. 
And that is something that now compels me. I want others to know that. I want others to know that freedom. I want others to know that. But to do that, I need to take up my cross as I look to the cross. And third, what we need to do is we just simply need to look to Jesus, to behold him. Oh, say, can you see? Can you see Jesus? Can you see him in the midst of your circumstances? Can you see him in the face of uh, your neighbor as they wave at you as you come out in the garage? Can you see it in the face of the smile of your young child or the embrace or hug of your spouse? Can you see Jesus even behind the clouds, maybe of your confusion, of your doubts, of the storm that you're in? But can you see him standing saying, this is my son, my daughter, whom I love and I'm well pleased. See, Jesus is not looking at us trying to beat us over the head of how we, we haven't performed more. We're, we don't measure up like the persecuted church. We're not sacrificing enough, doing enough. No, no, this Jesus in all of his power and all of his authority, he calls us friends and he calls us to simply walk with him, to look with him, to, to gaze at him, to behold him because he's worthy, because Jesus is worth it. And he said that we were worth it by laying down his life for us. And when we behold him, when we see him, when we see the beauty, the worth, and the value of Jesus, there's no what that we won't be willing to do. There's no cross we wouldn't be willing to bear. There's no yes we wouldn't be willing to give him. He's our why. He's our treasure. When we behold him, when we see him, just like Stephen did, there's nothing else that compares. In fact, when we behold him and look to him and keep our eyes on him, he gives us a strength, a power, a courage, full of the spirit, full of wisdom that we could never have on our own. But yet, when we behold Jesus. For you in Princeton, I pray that God would open up the eyes of your heart, that you would know the hope to that which he's called you. I pray that you would see others in ways that, you haven't seen before. I pray that you would look to the cross and be reminded of his love and his mercy and his grace that is available for you and others. And I pray that you would behold Jesus like my friend Noha did. Noha lived in Syria and she was from a very wealthy family before ISIS took over her community. Her family had two homes, they had a business, but yet when ISIS came, they had hours to flee in the night and their homes and businesses were lost, destroyed, burned down. They came to another country where my wife and I were encouraging them and other believers. I mean, what, what do we have to give to them? But yet they wanted to be seen. They wanted their brothers and sisters in Christ to see them, to know them and to share with them. And so we did. But she began to tell us that they were going back to Syria. And we said, no, why would you go back? You're risking your life. There could be potential death there. And she says, oh, brothers and sisters. She says, you don't know for how many years we have prayed for those in our country to come to know Christ. And they were always, uh, couldn't see him. But they said, but now in the midst of a war, their eyes can see. 
The veil is coming off and they're questioning. They want to know who this Jesus is. They want to know this God that they have seen us serve, even in the midst of our trials. But now in the midst of theirs, they see the joy that we have. And how could we turn our back on this harvest field? So we must go back, brothers and sisters. This is what we pray for. This is the harvest. And tears are coming down our face. And we know that she's not going back to homes and businesses, but she's going back because she sees Jesus in the law. She sees Jesus in others. She sees the cross. And we said, Noah, you've lost everything. Why is it worth it to follow Jesus? And she said, brothers and sisters, I haven't lost anything. You see, when I have Jesus, when you have Jesus, when you see him, you have everything. You have all you need. And that's my encouragement to us on this 4th of July, this Freedom Day. When we have Jesus, we're free. We have all we need. He will sustain us. He will give us grace to continue to say yes, to see others as he sees them and to see Jesus in them, to see his cross and take up our cross and to see him with us. I pray blessings of strength and grace and peace and freedom. And may you see Jesus clearly in every corner, in every dark place, in every face and smile. And may you see him in every watermelon slice you eat today. God bless you, Ecclesia. We're praying for you and we're honored to serve Jesus with you. Thank you for listening to our podcast. For more information, please visit www.ecclesianj.com.